Welcome to JP Morgan TV. This is the last JP Morgan TV of the year. And with me today, I have a Joe Lupton and a special guest with us, Haibin Zhu, our chief China economist. As all of you probably are aware, the China outlook is uh, perhaps the most uh, significant wild card we have in terms of understanding the global economy. So we thought we would uh, uh, spend a little bit of time with Haibin talking about that, given the opportunity we have with him in New York today celebrating the holidays with us. But before that, Joe, we can uh, do our normal back and forth here. Uh, and I guess there's two very brief things we want to go over. One is central banks and the other is the state of the global economy in terms of data flow. So uh, why don't you start by telling me what you think we learned from central banks this week? Well, look, I, 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 obviously we had a number of important central bank meetings. I think they had an a important task at hand, uh, and I think they delivered on that task, which was to uh, certainly hike rates, continue to hike rates, but slow the pace of hikes while also still providing the kind of right amount of forward kind of hawkish guidance that let people know that more hikes are coming and that rates are going to stay high for a long time. So. Many people are focused on that pivot and the slowing of the pace and maybe wanting to get a kind of a dovish spin on that. And I think central banks did the right right thing by kind of uh, kind of pushing back against that view and reminding us that uh, we're, they're going to be in a restrictive state for, for quite some time. And if, if actions speak louder than words, arguably forecasts may speak louder than actions, because I think you could even say this was uh, somewhat on the more hawkish side, given how they revised their inflation uh, forecasts, uh, at least both for the, the Fed and the ECB, where we did get update, updated views. So I think broadly speaking, it was what we were expecting, but uh, maybe a little bit more on the hawkish side, rightfully so. So I guess one question here is, um, what is the right thing? Um, uh, and while we have uh, further tightening by uh, basically all of the DM central banks, uh, not not all, but almost all, um, we also do have recession taking hold in the U.S. next year as a result of what the U.S. is doing. Um, and we have um, a weak growth more generally. So the question I guess we're kind of grappling with is with the inflation news we've got uh, in the last couple of weeks showing a, a clearer uh, downdraft, is it the right thing for central banks to keep going? And is it the right thing to to move in a way that, at least in our forecast, we'll have a, a U.S. recession later next year? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd raise two points. One is that the recession is a product that's being driven by central bank actions, right? I mean, this is a central bank-induced recession. So yeah, they, they are doing this because inflation is too elevated. And, and again, I think the forecasts of where inflation are expected to, to land, uh, well, inflation right now is still very high. It's coming down, but it's still very elevated. And they're thinking it's going to continue to stay elevated. In fact, you know, the Fed is looking for core inflation, core PC inflation of about three and a half percent by uh, for 2023. Similarly, ECB; those are well above central bank targets. So, yeah, they need to induce some type of uh, some type of slowdown there. Um, so, I think that's probably the most most important thing that this is a part of their their actions. Okay, I think the other thing to just note in this is that um, 
we do expect them to stop at the end of the first quarter and we do expect them to stop um, in an environment in which um, inflation is still elevated. But, you know, the argument for that pause, I think, becomes uh, important. I think, you know, just to put it on the table, uh, we do have inflation slowing more than what is looking like it's built into the current ECB and Fed forecasts. And we do need to, as we have in our forecast, see labor markets cool quite a bit more than what we've had up till now. And that raises the question of what the data flow is actually uh, telling us now. We obviously had uh, weak data out of China. Hyven, we'll get to you in a minute on that. Uh, but um, let's focus on the data releases we got uh, in the US and Western Europe uh, this week in terms of what signal it's telling us about where we are in the- I, I, at the at the risk of kind of throwing us off, I do want to touch on the point that you just said there, because I, I actually think it's a little puzzling to me. Uh, we do have, as you pointed out, inflation falling a fair bit more than what the central banks are now guiding us to. And by central banks, I'm talking Fed and ECB, uh, you know, three and a half percent next year, as I said, which is a pretty big upgrade. And that's still pretty rich. We have inflation getting down, core inflation getting down to three percent by the early part of next year on a quarter on quarter run basis and even lower by the time you get to the end of next year. Uh, what's gonna happen when, if we're right on inflation, what do you think the reaction function of central banks gonna be? Could you actually start to see cuts in that world? Well, I think the first half story, if our forecast is right, is what gets you the pause at the end of the first quarter. And then sure, if the US economy is sliding into recession and Growth well, let's is say not globally. a recession, right? I mean, our forecast is, and that was the second thing I wanted to add, by the way, when you talked about, you know, what we're expecting, why is it the right thing to do? We have very mild recessions. We actually start the year with the European recession that's almost non-existent now. And we end the year with the U.S. recession, which is almost non-existent. So that's one of the reasons why I think they have to kind of keep their, their foot on the brakes. But again, I'll say the point again, if we're right on our inflation forecast, they're gonna be really surprised to the downside. And unless we think the reaction function is somewhat different, all else equal, that should lead to some potential lifting the foot off the brakes, not not going easing, of course. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's entirely true. I think the, the question here is whether or not the fall in inflation is something which seems uh, sustainable and consistent with getting inflation all the way down. You can have a drop in inflation that looks more than what central banks expect because we have more weakness in core goods pricing, uh, but with labor markets still tight, with wage pressures strong, with service price inflation staying sticky, that may not be consistent. You know, you're you're basically assuming that what you see through the first half of next year is then a linear. Uh, continuation as we go forward from there, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. There's a lot to debate here about what we're going to see and what is the underlying picture of the inflation profile. The basic point is if inflation is going to come down basically by itself without having to push unemployment rates up and it's going to come down all the way, then central banks don't have to do more and they will eventually ease. If inflation isn't going to come down by itself into a sustainable uh, path below 3% uh, and labor markets stay tight, then central banks are going to have to cause a recession. That's the call. I think the important part of our debate right now, Joe, is that in terms of the path we have for these economies over the next six or nine months, the two scenarios are going to feel observationally equivalent. 
So well, we're not going to. Yeah, I used to say that, Bruce. And I, I think for you and me in our debate, I think that's right. I guess what I keep hammering on, and this changed this week. Right. If you would have, we had this conversation last week, you would have seen central bank forecasts from the September SEPs, the, the you know, for the Fed and ECB that weren't too far off. And so we want to be, be talking about this. But now they really ratcheted up their inflation forecast. We're talking about a seven tenths miss on core inflation. But I, I don't think the inflation forecast matters as much as in terms of what is it that they're trying to achieve. If they think they can get inflation to go materially below three percent without causing recession, then they not only don't have to cause a recession, but eventually they'll ease. If they don't get that outcome, then they're going to have to cause a recession. That's the end of the game. And the question yep. is, how how are they interpreting the data through that? And I think the point of this conversation, which I think is is most relevant, is there is a, um, there is a, a number of paths inflation can follow over the next six or nine months that are not going to make it clear one way or another what's happening. And there are some that are going to get you lower numbers as, as you've seen in the last couple of months, which may or may not prove to be uh, consistent. Yeah, I, I with get that, that, but that's, that's, that's you and me kind of debating this. I would just point out that the Fed has 3.5% core inflation next year without a recession and has rates only going to 525. I would have thought with this inflation path, they'd be going to 6. Well, I would, I would argue that if we're going to have core inflation running well above 3% in the second half of next year, and the economy's not in recession, then the Fed is going to be going above five. That's not what they told us this week. Well, they did not tell us when they're going to stop. And that's, in fact, one of the messages I think Chair Powell is. He's not, he's basically well, saying, saying the dots don't have that, right? Well, the dots are not the signal from the well, Fed. I know, but that's the what signal, we're talking and about. the signal from the Fed, and Powell is very explicit here, is we will stop when we feel inflation is on a sustainable path to achieve our objectives. So that's what they're going to be paying attention to. And the dots are, you know, a year ago, the Fed had inflation coming down to 2% in two years' time, and they were starting. Yeah, starting and, I, and I think it was good he put that optionality back in there, something we said he was going to put in there because he took it out in the this, this speech a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I'm just saying the dots they have, they think he used that word again, that he thinks rates at 525 will be sufficient to get inflation back down. And I'm just surprised that they're comfortable with three and a half percent core inflation next year without a recession and then talking about rate cuts moving into 24. Well, I don't think that's the right way to interpret the, the messaging that Powell has given us, but I don't want to keep going on yeah. on this. Okay. It's getting close to the end of the year. I'm, I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> and anyway, and perhaps more importantly, we've got uh, an important guest here to talk about uh, what is, I think, in some ways, the biggest uncertainty about the global economy, uh, which is um, where's China going? Um, I've been in a, in a very sh short period of time. We've kind of upended the, the dynamics on how we're thinking about uh, policy and as a result of it, having some important changes uh, to, the, to the outlook. So why don't you just talk us through very briefly what's changed in your mind and how are you processing that in terms of the path China follows over the next year? Yeah, so uh, Bruce, that the chart has been moving down this year, but uh, for different reason, right? The most time it should have been troubled by the dynamics of COVID policy and much more infectious uh, Omicron. So uh, the, the key for 2023 is that how quickly and what's the strategy for government to exit uh, the current strategy. And also in the last three weeks, this probably also the biggest uh, surprise. The, uh, the government is actually taking a much faster and also much earlier uh, reopening strategy compared 
compared to what we thought uh, four weeks ago. And that's actually is uh, uh, explaining actually our latest uh, GDP forecast revision. And uh, uh, we overall we take actually the, uh, it's a positive news that the government decide to move early and faster. Uh, of course, that means that she, uh, all these uh, the, the the close dynamics we have in mind, uh, the uh, uh, the immediate say impact from reopening, we're expecting a much higher inflation curve, and that overall we think actually will hurt economic activity. What we call it transitional pain. Uh, these will be moving uh, way ahead. Uh, we used to think about uh, Q2 and Q3, and now the peak probably also will uh, be occurring in Q1. That's why we marked down Q1 quite uh, dramatically. Uh, but the economic recovery after, I'll say, the, your uh, past that the transitional pay period uh, will also be moving forward. So we have a much stronger uh, a state normalized uh, growth in Q2, but much stronger rebound in Q3. And that overall, I see if we measure by Q4 or Q4, which are, we have a more optimistic forecast for this year. And uh, 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 and part of the reason I'll say why the government is accelerating uh, the uh, the pace of reopening is that uh, in the very near term, the macro data continue to dis disappoint. There's a significant, I'll say, the undershooting of the uh, current quarter. So let, let's focus on, on the near-term dynamics. So you have a an economy which right now, which is in your forecast, looks to be stalling in the fourth quarter. Um, you have a opening that is at some point here creating a really strong uh, opportunity for a bounce as the Chinese economy is depressed. How do you kind of think about um, how much weakness we have in the next two or three months with the uh, consequences of reopening uh, creating problems on the virus front, and and what is it that actually turns that tide, and when does that tide turn? Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, one month ago we think actually winter is not the ideal season for reopening, and also we expect the government should prepare more before the reopening, but uh, uh, very different actually. The, it's not a well planned, but uh, much early, faster reopening now. Uh, uh, yeah, we hear a lot of say the the the. Uh, 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 the ground feedback tree, like the cities in Beijing, in Guangzhou, in Baoding, actually in the last several weeks, actually the infection curve is moving much higher. Uh, but clearly, I'll say it's only in the beginning uh, from the national perspective, actually, we believe that the infection curve peaking will come uh, uh, later. And one important time you have to look at is the Lunar New Year. Remember, this is a, probably the biggest population flow uh, in, in the world. And if the government allow people to freely travel in the Union year, then uh, in the months after, uh, we're looking at, say, uh, February, March. That's probably the peak of the nationwide infection curve. And that's also uh, the time we are more concerned about the uh, economic performance. So uh, the uh, we're less worried about the uh, public health concern or the, uh, the, the, the some investors worry about the, the, the probability of the uh, COVID policy reversal. I would say, given what happened so far, the, the risk is much lower. But the concern is more on the production side, whether, say, the, the spike in fashion curve, meaning a significant temporary loss in labor supply, and that will hit China's production. So uh, what, is and, the, what is the you know, evidence you're hearing from the, the very high-frequency stuff? Are we starting to see problems emerge on the supply side? Well, the uh, so far that uh, the the data we see say in November and that's called very early stage of the uh, reopening December, uh, the uh, uh, the impact still more on the consumption side. But I'll say that's probably too early. Uh, but uh, good news is that we do have uh, 
the stress testing scenario in a number of cities I mentioned, like uh, Beijing, Guangzhou, and Guangzhou is a is an important manufacturing city uh, in in China. So we haven't seen any say, major disruption on the. Uh, is the real side. issue they're going to be after the noon in New York? Because factories do shut down, people are going to be going home. It's when they yeah, come back that that's the is that when the potential for a more important supply disruptions take place. Yeah, interesting observation that, yeah, typically, as you mentioned, Bruce, that after Lunar New Year, this is a typically seasonal low uh, from China's the production perspective. Also, the, this is a, a Q1 is typically, I'll say, the, 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 the low point for the GDP, right? Only accounted for like 20, 22% of GDP, a four-year GDP. So mainly, I'll say, after the, the two weeks after Lunar New Year, actually, most migrant workers stay home uh, in the normal years. Uh, now, uh, if we uh, want to see measure the, uh, the the impact of the disruption on the production, uh, to that extent, timing also matters. Uh, if the inflation peak just coincides, say, with the uh, the weeks after Lunar New Year, then probably I'll say the uh, the production disruption impact it will be smaller because it's just overlap with the low season. Uh, but if it happens later, say we're talking about in the Q2, then the impact will be much more significant. So I would, I, I've been, so like, let me lay out a path. Uh, like I would think that, so November was absolutely ugly. Uh, that was the infection without, with the lockdowns. Now we're reopening. I think December is going to be ugly because the, 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 the case curve is really shooting up in December and you see all these stories around uh, Beijing and that's going to be spreading. Mm -hmm. That's going to set up a week, uh, January, February gets a lunar new year bounce. Uh, yeah. And then you get March, which is going to hit by the, the resurgence of cases because everyone's mm. interacting. And then only then, by the time you get to the second quarter, do you really see that powerful levered lift. So, I mean, we've got 2% growth for the first quarter. I got to think the risks are like significantly to the downside. Like I would think contractions in the first quarter, but then an equally large upside risk to the second quarter so that the first half kind of kind of smooths out, but that's the, the path that I would expect. And the one kind of wrinkle of all this is, is, of course you well know, is January, February data are only given together, right? Yeah. So you actually might see an average of that, which is another reason that it kind of will, the optics mm -hmm. won't be as bad because you might get a really ugly January with the Lunar New Year bounce in February, although the March data then falls off before things pick up. So is that a yeah, plausible Joe, uh... path? Yeah, so Lunar New Year this uh, in twenty twenty three is a bit earlier, it's in late January. So I, I broadly agree with the uh, your assessment. I think that uh, the uh, December actually so far is still uh, quite weak data because it's not about the government imposed restriction. It's more about the self imposed restriction uh, by the people uh, when the in, uh, uh, infection cases moving up sharply. And uh, January, I'll say the Lunar New Year holiday break. The reason why we still have 2% for Q1, I'll say in part because we expect some temporary rebound during the reunion year. So people free travel, there's the, uh, the, the travel and also the gift, right? So that's uh, not say fully rebound, but uh, uh, some also decent level recovery in January. Then uh, in after the year, when the, the infection curve, say, peaks, is peaking out, and then actually we, we're going to see a uh, the, the, the weak momentum again, uh, the both in the production and consumption. So that's why we uh, we uh, we have weak Q1, but uh, uh, and also actually it's weaker than we initially thought during the transitional pain, but still we're having the 2% in our minds. Uh, I think largely depends on say how, 
uh, I think huge uncertainty, say how people will behave during the Lunar New Year holiday. Say that you could have a kind of argument, say people haven't been back to uh, their hometown for three years, so they may spend much more. Uh, that's also possible. Right? Yeah. What, what, what's the date of Lunar New Year? Actual, the actual date is uh, January 23rd. So typically the Lunar New Year holiday, we're talking about say the two weeks before until two weeks after. So that's about one week time. So well, let's, one, last uh, one last thing, Hyben. Um, obviously, policymakers are making that decision to uh, reopen. Uh, the question is, what are they going to do around it with other policy levers, and and how much can they actually manage this in terms of, you know, trying to calibrate both the demand and the supply side of the economy so that they don't have uh, more more serious uh, repercussions. And Hyben, if you can speak to just on that point, we did have the Central Economic Work yeah. Conference this week. Were there policy measures that were announced at that that are important? Yeah. So we have the, uh, the Central Economic Working Conference just uh, just finished, and they put uh, the stability uh, at the top priority. So uh, we expect actually they may uh, shooting a higher growth target for next year, uh, around 5%, which is higher than our forecast of 4.3%. Uh, uh, although that, uh, yeah, we there's a debate, say, well, how achievable is that growth target? But personally, I think that uh, setting a relative high growth target is still positive in terms of, say, from the market's perspective, uh, uh, confidence perspective, actually, uh, market investors have been worrying that whether the uh, under the new political system framework, the government no longer care about growth rates. So setting 5% obviously is that still relevant uh, from the government perspective. Now, more importantly, say, how do you get there? Uh, if you look at the uh, walk through the fiscal and March policy, I don't see that uh, there's an incentive, say, to significantly increase uh, the stimulus. Actually, the fiscal policy discretion, actually, uh, uh, this is one of our non-consensus worry that we worry that 2023 will be a year of fiscal contraction, not, say, a continuous uh, fiscal stimulus because... Close to uh, two percentage points, drag. Yes, because we are, we are losing the... The fiscal carryover effect, actually, which is a, a most important, also the uh, 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 component in this year's fiscal stimulus, and they will no longer be uh, be the, be there in 2023. So, if you government maintain the similar uh, the fiscal figures in the budget report, that mean a fiscal contraction for 2023. So, of course, they discuss about the uh, the way how to improve the fiscal policy effectiveness. Uh, so uh, that, that's that thought that's another angle. But overall, I think that the fiscal module policy and also on the module policy side, the tone is quite uh, similar, I'll say status quo. The more interesting policy change may happen on the industry policy side, uh, particularly if you look back at what happened in the last 12, 18 months, clearly I'll say uh, the, the policy headwind sectors. Uh, uh, one is the real estate housing, uh, housing market, and the second is the New economy said that internet companies are fa fa uh, facing these uh, regular headwinds. And we do see actually encouraging sign that government is, uh, will further relax the housing policy. We already see the, uh, the significant change in November, and we believe that uh, further easing measures on the demand side uh, will follow uh, to stabilize the housing market. And the government also mentioned that uh, for the big internet uh, platform companies, the regular environment will uh, become more stable going forward. So that's another signal, in my view, that uh, yeah, the uh, for new economy sectors, the regular headwinds, uh, the risk will be significantly reduced. We're going to have to end it here. We've gone on, I think, uh, far too too long, even for this call. So thanks, Ivan, um, and thanks, Joe, and uh, thanks to everybody.
I hope everybody has a good new year and that we can pick up this conversation early next year on JP Morgan TV. Thank you very much.